Hi, good evening, good afternoon and good morning wherever in the world you are. Uh, I'm Dan and I'm welcoming you again to episode 2 of the Big Football Podcast. Um, I made some grand promises at the end of the first episode that I would have a special interview with the Liverpool way, which I did do. Unfortunately, I was besieged by technical issues and I do have a podcast which I can't put out, which has been a really, real disappointment because me and Dave did have some interesting stuff there. Uh, I am joined again this evening by Paul. Hello, everybody. Unfortunately, uh, we were scheduled to have Khan's second debut tonight, but he's um, he's got um, he's got visitors, has he not? I think yeah. I think yeah. he's got family uh, family events. I think this evening, so is is unable to join us. Yeah. So so Khan's lack of commitment is disappointing, but he uh, he will be joining us next time, which will be good fun. Uh, you've just been on holiday to Portugal, Paul. How was it? You did well to not get quarantined. Yeah, I was in Portugal last week. I managed to get back just before the quarantine kicked in. Um, and just in time to see the uh, Premier League kick off on Saturday as well. So all timed well um, in the end. Yeah, uh, Arsenal were first up, so I think that's a pretty good place to start. You must have been delighted with the start. Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty good performance. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll maybe come on to Fulham in a second. I, I don't think it was the toughest uh, opening fixture in the world that Arsenal could have got. But um, I thought uh, I thought it was a good game actually, in, in the sense in the first half particularly. Uh, I think Fulham dropped off a little bit in the second half, but in the first half, I thought both teams played at a really good, lively tempo for an opening game of the season. Um, I uh, Arsenal obviously got a, a slightly scrappy opening goal, but um, that set them on the way and, and settled down a little bit. Uh, and I thought there was some really good football at times, particularly in the second half, when I thought they created not just the goal, but two or three other really, really good chances and, uh, and opened um, open Fulham up. Uh, it was, you know, it was always pleasing when you sign new players to see them start well. And I thought, thought Gabriel had a good game at the back, um, and William was involved in all three goals. And I think there was a lot of Arsenal fans, sort of myself included, slightly mixed on the signing of William in the in the sense that, you know, where Arsenal are at this moment in time, a club that's sort of still in a rebuilding phase, really, of trying to get back to where they want to be question the value of signing a guy who's who's 32 years of age on a, a two with a, an option of a third year contract um and he'll be on decent money you know he's he's not going to be playing for peanuts it's it's going to be in the six figure sum every week so um i think there were Arsenal fans who were mixed about signing him but i thought he was very very good on um saturday he does i've always been a fan of willian as a player i've always liked him that season when when chelsea won the league under conte and he seemed to be on the bench a lot i always i always wondered why he, he, he wasn't a more regular member of that team i think he does find those little pockets of space not only in the kind of classic between the lines of of the defense and the midfield but he also finds those really nice channels where he's he's kind of too central for the fullback to feel comfortable coming in and picking him up, but not quite wide enough where a centre half in a four four two wants to go and stand against him. Um, and he does just have that knack of finding space, and and he's a good user of the ball. So I I thought it was a pleasing performance. Um, clearly, there are there are tougher tests to come for Arsenal at, at the end of the month with with Liverpool, and, and I think we will play both of the Manchester teams in in October as well. So. There are going to be tougher tests to come, but as a as an opening game, we we couldn't really have asked much more from the performance. No, Arsenal looked really sharp to me. Um, I, 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 to be fair, 
largely they seem to have picked up right where they left off last season. Um, there seems to be uh, Arsenal look like they're really going to put a good shift in for the top four to me. Yeah, I mean, I hope so, Dan. I hope they they certainly, I think, you know, need to be in that conversation the full season long in a way that they definitely, obviously, weren't last year. Um, the year before, I, I think under under Emery, we should have made the top four, and we blew it really at the end with a, a, a series of really disappointing results. And, you know, home defeat to Crystal Palace, home draw to Brighton. They were the results that cost us. Um, I think they've got a chance of being in the shake-up. I still probably have us just outside at the moment in, in fifth, but um, we will see. We, you know, we've not seen Manchester United yet. Obviously, they haven't played. Um, Chelsea are later tonight. I think they're probably realistically the two teams we we are looking at, and I suspect with the strengthening they've done, Chelsea certainly would be um, favourites for, for one of those spots. Um, I, I look if Arsenal can be in and around the top four race the whole way and uh, and continue to play with a sort of sense of identity, which I think is is what you're referring to there when you say they've picked up from last season. You you sort of know now for the first time in about five seasons what Arsenal are trying to do and how they're going to play um, before you switch Italian to watch them, which in the in the last few seasons under under Arsene Wenger probably from the point when he first changed the system and had that little spell where he was playing three at the back and then through the season and a half with Emery, um, it, it's been difficult to really identify, okay, what are we trying to do? What's the what's the plan? What's the system? Um, there seems to be a bit more of that at the moment and that's that's pleasing to see. And, and even if we don't quite manage to, to make the top four this year, that is a really important foundation, I think, for Arsenal. And it was... You know, when you look and, and compare it to your club and and the first full season that, that Klopp had, it, it it was a lot. I know Liverpool made it into the top four that season, right right at the end. But as much as anything, that season was about establishing the the foundations of the way that he wanted the team to play. And I think that's uh, that's definitely part of what Arteta's got to do this season. Yeah, um, the, the thing the thing with Arsenal to, to me is you just look a lot more solid. Yeah, you do still concede daft goals, but that seems to happen a lot less. And you've got the goalkeeper back now. I'm I'm a quite a big Burn Leno fan. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think I think a lot of Arsenal fans are quite sad to see Emi Martinez go, which I'm not sure if that's been confirmed today, but it certainly isn't on the cards. I think he's signing for Villa, um, which is a good signing for Villa as well. Uh, but I like Burn Leno. I mean, he, he probably isn't as good as Martinez in, in terms of you know dealing with crosses, but. He's an exceptional shot stopper. His reflexes are outstanding, um, uh, and so yeah, having him back is is definitely um, a positive, I think, for Arsenal. Uh, but but as I say, we'll we'll have to see how the season goes. On, on, on the flip side, I think Fulham are in for a long, hard, and probably ultimately disappointing season. Um, they struggled when they were up last time with conceding lots of soft goals, and I think. The first two goals that they conceded on um, Saturday, they were put in the same category. You know, when you concede a goal like the third one, where Fulham are attacking, and then within sort of four passes of Amiang's curling it into the top corner, if you're Scott Parker, you go, you know what, against Arsenal and against the top teams in the league, that can happen. What you find it harder to accept is Tim Ream in, you know, five yards from his own goal, completely missing his kick on the first goal. And I don't quite know what the defending was on the second goal, um, the corner. I mean, 
Arsenal are not the biggest team in the world and Gabriel is clearly one of their bigger players and he was seemingly unmarked three yards out to head it in. So I think though Fulham can't survive if they concede those soft goals because they just don't have the players that are going to score enough goals at the other end to overcome that. Uh, so I thought that there was some, you know, they played with a good tempo in the first half Fulham and they pressed well and they tried to, to you know, really get Arsenal into a game. But I think defensively they're going to have to be a lot, lot better than they were. I think the thing with Fulham is they've not done a lot of business yet, have they? I mean, the window was yet young and everything we're saying may be addressed, but you can't see it at this point. I mean, they brought in the goalkeeper from PSG, um, Ariola, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I like I like him. I think he's a, a good keeper, but um he's not going to keep them up. I, I I I'm not exactly short of making a dramatic statement, but as soon as that first Arsenal goal went in I, I jumped onto the WhatsApp group that I have with my, my Liverpool away friends and I said this is gonna be a long gold season for Fulham and I saw yeah. nothing to change my mind. Yeah, I, I think so, unfortunately. And, and, you know, I've got a lot of time for Scott Parker. I think he did a really good job last season. And I like that he's one of the few managers left who still thinks it's inappropriate to wear anything other than a suit when you're on the touchline. Uh, um, and, and just generally, I, you know, I always thought as a player, he's a wholehearted type and, and gave you everything he's got. Um, and Fulham, I think, are trying to learn from last last time they came up when they spent loads of money on 12 players and then didn't work out what they wanted to do with any of them um, until about February. Uh, so they've gone the other way this time and, and kept the hands in the pockets a bit more. But I just, you know, I, I struggle to see where the, where the Premier League quality is at both ends of the pitch where it really matters, where you've got to be ruthless in, in the two boxes. Yeah, I think I think the thing with Fulham is they need to be patient and and stick by the manager. You know, like in in times gone by, Fulham would spend money, struggle, and then you get some clown like Felix Magatta turn up with his cheese. Um, you know, like I, I I think that Fulham will stick by Scott Parker unless they are disastrous and like twenty five points clear by Christmas. Uh, sorry, well clear with the bottom by Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, adrift, I think, is the word. Uh... That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll not edit that out just to prove that I'm receptive to my own fallibilities, Paul. So thanks for pointing that out. Um, so the second game on Saturday was Crystal Palace, who are off the mark with a, an, a win, early goal from Zaha did the job. Pretty surprised that Southampton pulled a bit of a blank there. Yeah, I was disappointed with Southampton. And, and contrary to what I've just said about Arsenal and Fulham being a game that certainly in the first half was played at a really good tempo, this was played at walking pace. <laughs> um, Crystal Palace and Southampton looked to me like two teams who were still playing pre-season. Uh, I, I think we talked about Southampton at sort of the review of last season. And I thought they'd be good last season. And they really started slowly and then hit their stride. And I, I wonder if maybe it's the same again, because they just didn't, quite look like the team that they were at the back end of last season. I think after lockdown, they were they were one of those teams in the top four or five in terms of points gained in the restart. Um, didn't look like that same side on, on Saturday, unfortunately. Um, had a lot of the ball, but just played sideways in front of uh, Crystal Palace a lot. Crystal Palace played pretty much like the away team at home. Easier to do that, I think, when there's no fans in the, in the stand. I think there's a few teams who will find that, that... We'll, we'll talk about another one later that that played almost like the away team at home, um, 
it'd be harder to to be able to to do that successfully i think when you've got a home crowd in there baying for you to attack um palace scored a good goal on the on the counter attack i think it was important for them to see andros townsend play really well uh, i thought he had a very good game um if they do lose wilfred zahar and i'm not sure they will but if they do lose wilfred zahar you need to see okay where's the creativity and the and the goals coming from um he took his goal well though zahar uh and again, if he does stay, then the chances of Crystal Palace staying up are obviously uh, massively increased. Um, if he goes, they're going to miss him. Yeah, they will miss him if he goes. But I, I think that we kind of touched on this last week, didn't we? Were in. I, I think he probably had his best chance to leave last summer. And yeah, I agree. I there's, agree there's, there's not the levels of interest in him that there were for COVID reasons and form reasons. Yeah, I think, you know, I said to someone at the weekend, he he made a mistake in that he signed a new contract at Crystal Palace a year before he thought he wanted to move. And he did that because he wanted to pay rise. Let's be frank about that. He was not on great money. Palace offered him a massive deal and he signed it. Uh, and then a year, 18 months, whatever it was later, when Arsenal and Spurs were both interested, he decided he wanted to go. I think Everton were, were interested as well at the time. Um, but equally, he wasn't willing to sort of you know, really play up and act out to get out of Crystal Palace because you know, he's got too much respect for the club and doesn't want to be seen as the, the enemy by the fans. Um, but they are really, when you're a player at Crystal Palace and you want to go to one of the top six or seven clubs, um, your two options are run your contract down so they have to sell you or kick up a stink so they have to sell you. Um, and I think I think both of those opportunities might have passed uh, Wilfred Zahar by now. I think in one sense it's good to see a player who, you know, doesn't want to kind of play up and act out to, to get out of a club. That's that's commendable, and I, I don't criticise him for that. But I do think in terms of his opportunity now of, of getting a big move, uh, another big move, because let's not forget he did have a, a period at Manchester United. Um, I think he's probably missed the boat. Um. If we then move on again to the third game of the day, that was at Anfield. Um, I've got quite a lot I want to say about this, and not all of it's positive. Um, yes, it was a fantastic game of football, but uh, on on the WhatsApp group, which you'll probably hear me mention a lot because I do a lot of my football talking on that group, I, I'd said that just just in passing that I still get angry every time I think of one of the the last visits we had to Ellen Road, or it feels like it anyway where Matt Viduka scored four and Liverpool were 2-0 and 3-2 up and lost. Um, and I, I had a visions of this game overtaking that in the blood pressure stakes. Um, it, it wasn't a, a hollow victory by any means. You know, We looked great going forward and sometimes it was very typical Liverpool. We really could have scored seven. Uh, we missed a couple of really good chances, but I've, I've not been happy with our defence since the season resumed in uh, in, in June and I've said nothing to change my mind that we need to make some changes, we need to get some players in. It's easy for me to say that having won, if we'd have lost or drawn, I would have been far worse. We kind of we got just about got away with it but in the last 10 minutes we put our foot down and I, I did think that we had the chance of winning it. The, the, the penalty was absolutely ridiculous from, from Rodrigo. Um, absolutely crazy challenge to make. Um but yeah, I, I I'm not too happy, Paul. To be honest, um, it, it was a good good win because we won. It's early in the season, but the, the signs have been there to me for a while that something's not right. 
with um, with the amount of goals we've conceded. I do think we got our midfield wrong as well. I think we let, let Calvin Phillips have far too much room, and he, the the first goal for Leeds, the first equaliser, was was illustrative of that. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a really good game of football. Again, that was played at a fantastic tempo, um, right throughout. Actually, I thought I thought it was a t- terrific game of football to watch. Um, Leeds kind of forced that because they play with such an intensity, and, and Liverpool do naturally anyway. And so it became a real kind of um, fast-paced, fast-moving game of football, which was which was interesting to watch as a neutral. I thought. Um, you know, Leeds will be really frustrated with the way they lost it. Uh, it was, as you say, a ridiculous challenge from Rodrigo. I have no idea what he thinks he's doing. Um, it's not like he was the last defender between uh, Fabinho in the goal. It's also not like it was Mo Salah with the ball uh, inside the penalty area. It was Fabinho. So, you know, I, I just, I'm not quite sure what he thought he was doing. Um from Liverpool's perspective, yes, they gave away uh, sloppy goals. Um, I thought the first one was a, was a good ball from from Calvin Phillips to get to get Harrison away, but um, Trent was wrong side. Yeah, there, there have been these questions about about Alexander Arnold in the in exactly that situation, and, and we know how detailed Mario Bielsa is as a coach. And I don't think it's any accident that that ball was the ball that, that Leeds played. And they actually played it numerous times in the game to try and hit that space. That space where, where Trent has pushed on and as he's retreating, it kind of goes over his shoulder. Um, and then he can't quite recover. And, and it was a really good finish. I mean, he, he took the goal very well, Harrison. Uh, and then obviously the second goal um, is a huge error by by Van Dijk. And and I've said to you before, Dan, that I, one of his problems at, at Southampton, I think, was almost that he found it so easy and the games didn't really matter because Southampton were always finishing in the middle of the table anyway, that he'd get a little bit bored and do stupid things. Um, and you could always tell he was, he was strong and he was quick and he was physical and he got all those great attributes that he's demonstrated since he's been at Liverpool. Um, but he'd make four or five silly mistakes a season that would cost goals. And he pretty much eradicated that from his game until the restart. And I, th- I, I do wonder if not having any fans in the, in the stands, whether some of those concentration issues about getting a little bit bored have slipped back into his game. And, and you said it to me straight away, and I, and I think you're probably right. I'm not sure that a full, loud Anfield... Van Dijk tries that silly flick that no, he tried when he's defending that ball through. I think he probably just deals with it and puts it out for a throw-in. Um, and instead, uh, he, he tries this sort of elaborate flick and it goes wrong. And uh, again, fair play to Bamford. He, he he stayed alert and he didn't give up on it and he, he finished it well when the chance came. But um, it, it would be... And he'll be frustrated with himself, Van Dijk, but it's can he sort of re-establish that Concentration. I think between between signing for Liverpool in 2018 and and the point at which the league was won, so that's a full year and a half's worth or two years worth of calendar time and a, a, just over a year and a half's worth of, of football time. Um, Van Dijk had been credited by the statistician people at Opta with only one mistake that had led to a goal, and I think he's more than doubled that in the period since Liverpool won the league. So he's gone from being incredibly consistent to just letting these mistakes creep back in. I mean, by no means am I saying that Liverpool need to drop Virgil van Dijk or buy a replacement for him. Not not 
in the slightest. But I think it's something that he needs to tackle and that Klopp needs to tackle with him is re-establishing that real concentration that he he demonstrated for, for so much of his Liverpool career. Um, and then I thought the third Leeds goal, in, in fairness to them, was was kind of quite well worked down the right-hand side. And it's a good finish by Click, who's a player I've, I've liked for a couple of seasons now in the Championship. He's, he's, a, he's a good player and he gets himself into goal-scoring positions. And again, he finished it well. Um, in between time, I don't think Mo Salah's second goal to put Liverpool 3-2 up has got enough credit. That was an unbelievable strike. Terrific finish. What a clean strike of a football that was. Um, and uh, and again, the other frustration for Leeds, a bit like I said with Fulham and the Gabriel goal, when you're a newly promoted team to the Premier League and you're playing Arsenal and Liverpool and Manchester City and Manchester United, and the, the, the teams who most people expect to finish in the top five or six, you cannot give away cheap goals from corner kicks. Oh, that was... That was... I mean, Leeds deserve a lot of credit for the way they played. They they really brought it to us, and not a lot of teams do that anymore. But yeah, the the, the bread and butter. I mean, they give away. I mean, obviously two are penalties, and that's, that's just a fifty fifty for the goalkeeper. But it's still three goals from set pieces. Yeah, and you, you can't do and, it. and as we said, you know, an avoidable penalty certainly the second one. What did you think um, of the first? It was a tough one. We... We've seen these a number of times now, haven't we? And in fact, it always seems to be in Liverpool games. I remember, I remember one against Micah Richards a few years back when he was still playing for Manchester City uh, at Anfield, where it bounced up and then hit him on the arm. There was obviously the one in the Champions League final last year with Sissoko, it bounced up and hit him on the arm, and a, and a similar one on um, on Saturday that came off. Uh, the the new centre half is he's, I'm not going to pronounce his surname because it sounds rude. Um, the the new centre half for Leeds, uh, and it deflected up off his his sort of knee thigh area and hit him on the arm. I think when your arm's that far away from the body, you know it's not just down by the side or in in a kind of position just in front of his body. When your arm's out there, you invited the referee to get involved. Yeah, I I think you are. I um. I certainly don't think he should have been overturned. No, um, that, that was I think it. The yeah. decision to stay with what the referee decided on the pitch was the right one. Had the referee not given a penalty on the pitch, I think it would probably have still been the right decision not to give a penalty. I think I think it's probably one of those that's enough open to interpretation that I'm willing to go with whatever the on-field referee has decided. Um, and uh, and so. I, I, while I can see why why Leeds are frustrated with it, and while people thought it was soft, I, I think I probably, on balance, don't have a problem with the fact that a penalty was awarded. Yeah, it's it's kind of like an umpire's call in cricket. Yeah, exactly that, and I think we need to start to see VAR a little bit more like that, which is that that some of these decisions are not absolutes, even when you look at the replay. And I, I generally want things to stay on the field unless it's abs. And that's what they said originally: clear and obvious mistakes. I think things should be staying on the field unless it is absolutely clear to everyone in the ground that the referee's got it wrong. Um, speaking of which, we we passed over that on the Crystal Palace Southampton game, but on who the first referee would have been to have to go to a screen and then overturn his own decision, John Moss would have been right at the top of my list. Um, how we ever thought that that challenge from uh, Kyle Walker-Peters was a red card, I have absolutely no idea. Um, I'll tell you how. Yellow, I think a yellow card was probably the right decision, if anything. 
but yeah, it just it baffles me um, that John Moss saw that as a red card. And well done to the person at the other end on VAR who said, I think you need to go and look at this again because you've got that wrong. I can tell you very easily why John Moss thought that was a red card. Because it's John Moss. <laughs> there's no there's no other... Um, it's, it's a very simple answer when you think about it in detail. Um, ju- just while you... I, I would like to thank you for censoring yourself um, with regards to Leeds' central defender. Um, <laughs> because very exciting news, we are actually iTunes accredited. Oh, fantastic. Um, so, yes, we don't want to go upsetting um, our, our new friends at Apple with... Um, Talk of lead central defenders. Um, speaking of getting upset, um, David Moyes can't have been too happy with Newcastle in the late game. Uh, sorry, with West Ham in the late game, they were very poor, and Newcastle were very impressive. Yeah, I thought I thought exactly the same. Dan, I thought um, I thought that wasn't a, a, a it wasn't as as kind of good a game as as the first half of the Fulham Arsenal game or as as Leeds Liverpool because I didn't feel as though you had a real competition. But I thought Newcastle played at a decent tempo, and I thought they were pretty impressive. I think they've they've bought really well Newcastle over the over the um, summer. I think the two boys who scored, obviously Callum Wilson, will get goals in the Premier League. We know that, um, and I know he's not getting any younger. But the the price Newcastle paid is a snip, I think, for Callum Wilson. Um, they've needed since they came back up the first time. Uh, with with uh, Pardew, um, well, with with Chris Shooten wasn't it originally, and then Pardew took over, uh, and then eventually they, they they ended up going down and came back with Rafa. I think even when they came back up that first time, they never really had a true guaranteed goal scorer. I know Denver Bar had a decent year there, and I think Papi Cisse had a decent year there, but I think Callum Wilson's someone who can pretty much hang your hat on. He will score goals in the Premier League. Um, and so that's a terrific buy. Obviously, they signed the left-back that Liverpool were after at one stage from, from Norwich, who's a, a tidy player. I, I like him. Um, so they, they've signed well Ryan Fraser. I know he was on the bench at the weekend, but they've signed well Newcastle, uh, and I thought they played like a team who was you know, really eager to make a good impression on Saturday. They controlled that game, but for sort of 15 minutes in the middle of the second half, when... Uh, when West Ham got going a little bit, I think they moved Antonio from playing centre forward into a wide area and they they started to get him into that back post position that he gets into when he plays wide on the on the right hand side. And um they looked dangerous for about 10-15 minutes in the middle of that that second half. And then Newcastle just kind of weathered that bit of a storm and killed it off again at the end with the second goal. So I thought they were really impressive. I thought West Ham were very, very disappointing. There's obviously something going on in the camp that the players and allegedly the manager are not happy about the boy who was sold to West Brom. Um, I understand why Mark, uh, Mark Noble was frustrated and why he decided to tweet about it. But I, I'm an old-fashioned person. I think that should be left in-house. If the captain of the football club doesn't like the transfer policy, then he should make his representations to his manager and to his board, um, not to the whole world on Twitter or Instagram or whatever you know social networking site it was that he used. Um, so I think there might be a bit of disharmony, not for the first time. Uh, and not for the last. Scenes, and probably not for the last. Um, but David Moyes did a good job when he came in last year. He got them going and, and kind of made them a competitive football team that weren't going to be brushed aside. And as you say, he'll be very upset because I think they were brushed aside pretty easily by Newcastle on um, 
on Saturday evening. I think from Newcastle's perspective, if they if they were just a little bit better in the middle of midfield, I think Newcastle would be a team that could be really seriously looking at, at a top half finish. Um, I just, you know, John Joe Shelby on his day is a good footballer, but um, and on his day he's not, know, and on his day he's not at the same time. Exactly, as we all know, his, his consistency has, has never been there with him. Um, and Isaac Hayden, look, he come through the youth system at Arsenal, and I think most people didn't think he'd be a Premier League player. They thought he'd have a good career in the Football League. And, you know, he, he's been a, a terrific buy for Newcastle. They didn't pay as much for him, a couple of million quid, and he's, he's done a great job for them. Um, but no one really is looking at him and thinking he's a proper you know, top-class central midfield player in the Premier League. So if they could just get one or two bodies in there um, to improve that area, I think the rest of their team is really starting to look pretty solid. Yeah, Steve Bruce is doing a really good job at Newcastle for my money. Yeah, absolutely. And it flies under the radar for some reason, but there we go. I think the thing with anything anyone does at Newcastle is overshadowed by the ownership situation. Um, Moving on to Sunday then. Very good start for Leicester. Um, they, they have done the opposite of um, Arsenal, wherein the, their season ended very poorly last season. They've seemed to have turned it round with a, a very strong start. Yeah, again, I, I mean, a bit like Arsenal, I suppose. Both won 3 0 away from home. Um, but again, both will be probably looking at that fixture and thinking that's one of our easier away trips out of the way. Um, a bit like what I thought watching Fulham um, on Saturday. I thought watching watching bits of that game on Sunday, I'm not sure West Brom are really at the races. Um, I, I, to be honest, I watched them a lot in the Championship last year and I didn't think they were great then. I'm not quite sure how they came up. Um, well, well and, Brentford's last two games should tell well, you everything well, exactly. you need to know. And, and I, know I'm, I know I'm going to sort of upset West Brom fans saying that, but I'm not really sure how they, how they managed to come up. I think they're still short of quality at this level. Um, and I don't think they really posed Leicester too many problems. I think, if anything, the first half, it was a bit of a case of how have Leicester not gone in in front. Uh, and then they got the early goal in the second half, and, and from um, which was nicely worked, a little ball down the channel, and um, Prayet, is it? I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Stood the ball up to the back post, and the, and the right-back's, met it with a good header and again it shows the Brennan Rogers philosophy that he wants to get his full backs into advanced positions, he wants them to be part of the, the attacking ethos of the team um, not too many teams have their right back in at the back post for, for a header so um, credit to them that they were willing to commit them forward uh, and then obviously they got the, the, the penalty at the end to, to wrap it up but yeah I, I, I think Leicester Leicester have got to sort of get off to a, a good start this season with the way they ended last year. I think you're, you're dead right about that, Dan. They need a first 10 games. It's a positive first 10 games um, because they need to make sure that they are putting themselves back in that conversation for top six and thereabouts. The way they finished last season was really disappointing. It looked like the top four was there to be got. They missed out. Um, if they regress into a sort of mid-table position this year, then I think people will will ask a few questions. I don't think they should, but I do think at some point, Jamie Vardy's 33, at some point there needs to be an answer for the question, who scores when Jamie Vardy doesn't? 
the thing with Leicester for me, I think they are going to go backwards this season. Maybe not in terms of performances, but in terms of the league table, because they're in the Europa League, and the Europa League messes with league seasons. It's I've I've seen it. I've been saying I've been saying this for a very long time, as you know, that it's not. I, I think you were right a few weeks ago. Let just just give it to Sevilla. Um, and and like I, I mean, for, I'm I'm not knocking Leicester. It's great for Leicester to be in Europe because for them it's not a common experience. It's you know it, it's something new for the fans. Unfortunately, fans may not get to see it. Um, you know, we, we, the, the the Europa League might not start on time. It might not start at all. We we don't know how things are going at the moment. It's very strange time we're living in but I, I think that Leicester will be hindered because the, the squad's not big enough anywhere and then you get you know, they, they could have a flight to Romania or Russia or the Ukraine or maybe the tournament will get played in, in one fell swoop like it was the, for the knockout stages and you and you you have to remember that and I know that was a Champions League and not the Europa League but um, the last time Leicester were in Europe as reigning champions they nearly got uh, they were in relegation form exactly by the end of that group stage period in in December they were scuttling around in the in the bottom four or five in the Premier League and ultimately Claudio uh, paid with his job so um, there's definitely a a question mark about whether they've got a squad big enough. To compete on on two fronts, um, and like I say, I, I I do just wonder who gets the goals when Vardy doesn't score. I, I just you know they're, they're so reliant on Jamie Vardy. Yeah, Ian Nacho is a striker of some promise, but he doesn't score enough goals for, to be no. the answer. No, he, he does other things quite nicely, but he's not a goal scorer. Um. Uh, with regards to West Brom, I've not really got a lot to say about them, to be honest, because I, I, I didn't catch that game. Um, I, I chose the cricket. Um, West Brom, again, they've not spent a great deal of money. In, um, you know, they're going to struggle because they're, they're a championship team. They brought in one or two, and, and again, they may well do by October. But I, I don't think West Brom fans will be expecting anything other than a struggle. Um they will give you 100% commitments every game. That's what Slavin Bielic gets out of his players. But I, I don't envisage West Brom taking great strides in um, a direction other than bottom five. No, I mean, I, I think it was it was telling on the, on um, on Sunday that they, they started with Callum Robinson up, up front, who I think they've, they've signed from Sheffield United. Um and he, you know, he didn't really crack the Premier League team with Sheffield United last year, and I think he was spent. He might even spend some time on loan at West Brom, and then he's he's the answer up front in your first game in the Premier League. And again, you you end up looking, and they're bringing Hal Robson Carno on off the bench, and I know they've signed Charlie Austin, so there is another option there. But you just look at that at that forward area, and you you wonder where the goals are going to come from. Yeah, there just there seems to be a shortage of goals at Fulham, at West Brom. Leeds obviously brought it on um, on Saturday. Whether they can continue that for the whole season, I don't know. But they did score three goals and looked dangerous. Earlier on, you mentioned a home team playing like an away team, and that will wash without fans, but not with. I think I know who you were talking about, and I think you're talking about Tottenham at home to Everton. 
Yeah, I mean, it was nice of Tottenham to win the second half. I think they got out of their own half twice, which was, <laughs> which was nice of them. Um, I thought Tottenham were hopeless. And I know as an Arsenal fan, you, you're sort of always a bit risky saying that because people just accuse you of being biased. But I thought it was a really, really poor Tottenham performance. Um, I'll maybe start with Everton because I, I think I said on the, the season review, I was a bit worried about about Everton this season. I, I, I don't love the balance of the squad and... You know, they've got lots of good players, but I don't really know if they've got a team there. But I, I have to say, I thought they, they were really promising yesterday. And if they were a bit more ruthless in terms of the, the half chances and the situations that they had in and around the box that they didn't fully capitalise on, if they'd been a bit more ruthless, I, I think they could have won that game by two or three clear goals. Um, I was quite impressed with them. I thought their midfield players moved the ball really nicely. They, they kind of... Maybe in the first half they went sideways a little bit too much at times rather than passing forwards. But I felt like they had a complete control of the game in the middle of the park. I thought Andre Gomez played as well as I've seen him play in about, well... In since since his leg break. Yeah, it, it, yeah, probably probably right, Dan, since he had the, the horrible injury. Um, and and I, obviously Rodriguez played and, and played quite well. Uh, Richardson had the chance in the first half where he went around the goalkeeper um, and then I don't quite know what the finish was um, but it wasn't anywhere near the goal uh, I still have a question about the two centre-halves and whether Michael Keane and, and Jerry Mina are really the answer in that position but I thought they looked much better in the field um, they've got a threat now with, with Richarlison and, and Rodriguez um, again not absolutely sold that Calvin Lewin is the long-term answer at centre forward, but every time I say that about him, he scores. So um, you know, at the end of the day, the game is about putting the ball in the goal, and if you've got someone who keeps doing it, then then fair play. I thought Tottenham were absolutely atrocious. Tottenham just uh, haven't shaken the the malaise of losing in Madrid to Liverpool. I, I don't well, think. Well, I think the malaise had started before then, Dan. I really do. I I think Tottenham's form tailed off about February of that season where they made the Champions League final and and the European run slightly covered over the cracks but they really in February they were just about hanging on to the title race yeah they were, you know five six points behind Liverpool and Man City who were offsetting a fantastic pace and Spurs were were just about in touch they finished one point ahead of Arsenal which you know, tell when Arsenal finished fifth, and that tells you the sort of dramatic collapse they had in the in the second half or the last third even of that season, um, and they haven't really uh, kind of ever got back to back to where they need to be after that. I don't, you know, if say Matt Doherty from Wolves, who's a, a solid Premier League right right fullback come right wing back, I think he's a decent footballer. He's not. I like not that doctor. He's not going to tear up any trees, but he's pretty reliable. He won't let Spurs down. I actually thought he probably had their best chance on, on Sunday as well, um, the one that the goalkeeper saved with his legs. Uh, so, you know, he's a decent player. I'm not the biggest fan of Hjoiberg, who they signed from Southampton. I didn't really love him at Southampton, and I'm not sure how he makes Tottenham better, if I'm absolutely honest with you. Um they were trying to fit Ali, Son, Mora and Kane into the same team. That's been a problem for them in the past. I think that remains a, a problem they've not quite solved, what the right balance is with, with those four players. Um, but what was the most striking thing about the, the, whole, the whole performance was 
how much they played like an away team. They played deep. They played in their own uh, defensive third. The number of times you'd see an Everton player with the ball just inside the Tottenham half, whether it was Alan or Gomez or, or Ducouré in, in midfield, who's come and got the ball off the Everton back four and turns, and he's five yards inside the Spurs half, and Spurs have got 11 men behind the ball. And, and I just look at the way the teams who have been successful in the Premier League are playing. No one, Pep Guardiola's team doesn't drop off and let your defensive midfielder have it with time to pick a pass. Jurgen Klopp doesn't play that way. Frank Lampard hasn't played that way. Mikel Arteta hasn't played that way. You know, you look at Wolves last season with Nuno, they don't play that way. Brendan Rodgers' teams don't play that way. It's, Jose just looks so out of kilter with everything else that's going on in that top seven or eight. In the, I mean, Chris Wilder's teams don't play that way. Tottenham are the only ones who seem to be happy to let the, the, the deepest line midfield player of the opposition come and have the ball off his two centre-backs, turn with no pressure on the ball, look up and pick a forward pass. And, and Jose's philosophy, which just looks outdated, is, well, as long as I've got 11 behind the ball in that position, I'm OK. Well, it's, it's easy for me to criticise Mourinho because of the teams he's managed, but I, I do genuinely think that the Premier League has passed him by. I don't know where or how, but it, like Tottenham looks so slow and ponderous. And you know, like I have this expectation of Tottenham from from all, all the time I'm watching the football. They might not be very good, but they generally tend to play attacking football. And it, that's just not not the way with Mourinho. And I, I thought at the time he was a strange fit. I thought of getting rid of Pochettino, I mean, I know there was issues, but I thought it was strange. And to replace him with someone like Mourinho was, was stranger. Um, Tottenham, the, the Daniel Levy doesn't like spending money at the best of time in this environment, the, the whole COVID-19 situation. He, he's got no intention of spending money unless he can absolutely avoid it. There's no big deals on the table. I, I, I just think that it was a strange decision to appoint him. And as, as I'm not criticising Mourinho... That's just how he is. He's not. He's never apologised for who and what he is, um, and I, I just don't think he was a good fit for Tottenham. And he's not got the money to to build the squad in his image. No, and and they they do just look like a club that obviously yeah, Pochettino did an incredibly good job at Tottenham. Now over not just the year they make the Champions League final. I actually think at the end of that season, as I say, their league form was pretty pretty shoddy. But the couple of years before that, Tottenham were not only a really good team that competed at the top end of the Premier League every single season. Um, they were actually quite enjoyable to watch. You'd switch a Tottenham game on and think, wow, that, that, like as an Arsenal fan whose team wasn't necessarily very good to watch during that period, you'd switch a game on and think, oh, no, you wouldn't mind being a Spurs fan because they're playing really nice football. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of players in that team that I really, really liked, that Spurs side. And uh, some of those players have moved on. Some of them are still there. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Son. I think he's a really good footballer. Fabulous I, you know, footballer. Fantastic. I think, I think if he's best, Dele Alli's a good player. You know, I, I just think... I just think they've lost their way and I'm not sure what they're really trying to be. Um, and, yeah, it, if what they're trying to be is what they were on Sunday... That's not good enough. And they're another team who are going to be hamstrung by the Europa League as well. It, it, old Jose likes 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 the the Europa League, so 
that they may well go deep into the competition, but for, for me, it's going to affect them in the league because that was a big problem he had at, at, um, when he was Manchester United manager. He didn't manage to balance being in the knockout competitions very well with the league. Yes, he won the they won the Europa League, but they came was it six or seventh? Yeah, and I, I, I think it's you know part of it is Jose and him looking I think slightly outdated in the way he sets his team up compared to the other teams that are in that, as we said, in that sort of top third of the Premier League. Um, he doesn't set his team up to press the ball high, he sort of sets up to sit deep with the, the low block, which is one of the new sort of catchphrases for football. <laughs> um, it used to just be called defending deep, now it's the low block. Uh, so, you know, Jose likes with the low block um, and 11 behind the ball. And... Okay, that's one thing, but I just when you look at the squad, it, it needs refreshing. It needs some energy. Where are the where are the dynamic, energetic players in the Spurs squad that are really going to galvanise that team? Um, and and you know you've seen that when with Arsenal and Chelsea at different times last season, the, the likes of Mason Mount and, and 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 Saka for Arsenal, who are younger players who came into teams that maybe were struggling a little bit and brought a bit of energy to the party and I, I just don't know if I see that at the moment at Tottenham and um, I, you know you're always in this kind of overreaction uh, overreaction Monday after the first weekend of the Premier League season but if that performance is typical of Tottenham they're going to struggle to finish in the top six. Yeah agreed um, and whilst I fully admit I'm a bitter red um, it would be very difficult to not give Everton any credit for the way they played. They, they did look very impressive. I was I was quite impressed with them, and let's hope that doesn't continue. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, I, I, thought, I thought I thought Everton played well, and look, all the respect in the world for Carlo Ancelotti. I think he's a fantastic manager, and if anybody can pull a decent side together out of what I still think is a bit of a disjointed, unbalanced squad, um, you know, that has a, a lot of players who are quite similar in in style. Uh, in some positions, then then that man's probably Carlo Ancelotti. So yeah, agreed. Um, great manager and a great man to yeah. go alongside that, and you don't always get a combination of the two. Um, so yeah, I've got nothing but respect for Carlo Ancelotti. Um, the the game that's going on as as we're speaking now, actually Sheffield United against Wolves. Um, Sheffield United a two 0 down to Wolves, and th- there were one or two signs that maybe they'd run the race towards the end of the season. And still finished in a very respectable position. Chris, Mild- Chris Wilder is a great manager doing a great job. Um, we can't review a game that's not finished. Um, where, where do you see Sheffield United's fortunes going this season? Yeah, I think they maybe were one of the teams who could have done with a proper break. I think they put a huge amount of energy and effort into their first season back in the big time. I think they really put a huge amount into that season and they overachieved. Chris Wilder's terrific manager. He got the most out of that team and they overachieved what their ability should have done. Um, And that isn't to say they're a rubbish team. They're they're not. They've got some underrated footballers in that squad, but they still overachieved for where they finished last year. Um, to, to, To only have a sort of whatever it was, 48 day turnaround. And then suddenly you're asked to go again. Uh, and compete again with with teams that most weeks and and this first game against Wolves is a classic example. Teams that most weeks are going to have better players than you've got. Um, I think it's a big ask for them. I think they'll finish in the bottom half. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the relegation scramble. 
I think I would still be surprised if they go down. Not shocked, but surprised. I think there are probably three worst teams. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Sheffield United in the bottom five. I'd like nothing more than for them to prove me wrong. Um, they normally beat Arsenal at Bramall Lane anyway, so no doubt we'll do that later in the season just to shut me up. <laughs> um, but uh, Although we did beat them in the cup quarter final there last season, um, but without fans, which I think helped us definitely. Uh, and they're another team, again, I would say that about. I think Bramall Lane with a full capacity crowd is quite an intimidating venue. And I'm not sure that uh, they're not having any fans in the in the stands help Sheffield United. Um, so when I co- combine those two factors, long, hard season, massive effort in their debut season, combined with no fans in the stands to, to give them that home advantage, I do think they'll, they'll be in for a bit of a struggle. I hope they don't go down. I'd like Sheffield United to stay up, but I think they're going to find it difficult this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they'll probably finish, I think, like 12th or 13th. I, I think they've got enough about them, they're, they're organised enough to not get into that uh, that relegation scrap. But for, for me, and it's a problem they had at times last season, I, I don't see where the goals come from. Yeah, they sort of, they managed last season, didn't they, with, with kind of a lot of people getting a few. Um, I, I think it was McBurney, their top goal scorer in the end. I think he might have been. And I think he might have got seven or eight. It was something like that. They had a lot of people who got a few goals and they were good defensively. Um, I, I, I don't dislike Aaron Ramsdale. They've signed from Bournemouth, the goalkeeper. I think he's a promising goalkeeper. But he's not as good um, as Henderson. He isn't as good as Henderson. Henderson saved them points at times last year. Uh, and so they're going to miss him. Um, and yeah, I, 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 just, I, I think they're in for a bit of a struggle. I hope they stay up. Um, but I think you've seen already tonight against Wolves that there are going to be games where, where they're just outclassed ultimately. But getting outclassed by Wolves is no shame because for me they're, they're really the, the best of the rest if you get what I mean. Uh, I'm, I'm not meaning that in a disrespectful way. I, I think that they are outside of the traditional top six. They are the ones who are likely to, to continue to get crash it. Yeah, I think so as well. I, I, I'm one of those people generally who says the league table doesn't lie. But when I look at the league table at the end of last season and I see Tottenham and Leicester above Wolves, I think it does. (laughs) Because I think Wolves are a better team, or Wolves were a better team when I watched them over the course of the season. And maybe that's unfair to Leicester because maybe I'm thinking too much about the second half of the season and sort of forgetting how well they played in the first half. Certainly possible. But I I, I think Wolves are a really good team. Um, They're extremely well organised. They all know their jobs. They did manage last year to cope with balancing the Europa League, which was a question mark, um, and we've talked about it already with other clubs. Wolves did a pretty good job um, of balancing it without it taking away from the league performances. Uh, I think it, uh, Adama Traore was big for them last year. He, he really made a difference in a lot of games. I think they might need one or two other players to, to step up in that kind of making the difference in tight games um, way. I know they've signed a young Portuguese forward uh, this this past week. I think it's a big ask for him, and they paid a lot of money, haven't they, 30-odd million. It's a big ask for him to come straight in and be that kind of impact player. Uh, but I, I think Wolves are going to be a really, really good team again, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them finish in the top six. 
No, they're, they're always a handful. They're always difficult to play against. And I mean, like in he's, he scored again tonight. You no, know, there, there seems to be no sign of of Jimenez dropping off off his. No, form, Jimenez, so. Jimenez is a good centre forward. Um, he knows what he's good at as well, and he doesn't try and do the things that that he can't do. If that's not a stupid thing to say. Um, the other thing I think about Wolves is, you know, I think in Moutinho and Neves, they probably have a central midfield that's as good as... It's probably better than Arsenal's. It's probably better than Tottenham's. Um, you know, to have two players of that quality in the middle of midfield, I know Neves hasn't started tonight, but uh, I think they are really, really strong um, central midfield players, intelligent, good users of the ball, understand the game, take up good positions, um, and they set a lot of those moves that the Wolves um, put together off. They're also both willing to play the, the longer pass when it's needed. Um, you know, they, they don't just play the five-yard, ten-yard pass. They, they can actually both find Jimenez from, from a bit further out and, and, and get the ball into wide areas, uh, which I do think you need when you're a team... You know that that hasn't got the sort of resources of the very very top clubs. You need to have players who understand that there are going to be times in the season when you need to get the ball into the opponent's half and play at that end of the pitch. Um, and I think uh, I think both Neves and Moutinho fall into that category. Yeah, and I, I, the the thing for Wolves as well. I think I, I love the manager. The manager is a very he, shrewd, he's an incredible job. Yeah. yeah, very shrewd, clever man. He's always, you know, very, very respectful as well. Very dignified man. I, I really like Nuno Gomez, and that's not his name, is it? Nuno Santos. Nuno Santos, yes. Nuno Gomez was an average Portuguese striker from a long, a long time ago. He was. Uh, that's uh, World Cup two thousand and two type territory, Dan. Yeah. I, I, did he score against England in Euro two thousand four? I think he might have. I think he was the one who scored the. The goal in normal time, but we really digress the go back to our uni days. Yeah, Therefore, how the Postiga scored the goal in extra time? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. I'll, I'll research that in a minute. Um, I, I think it was uh, Nuno Gomez who scored in the the, the late equaliser. Okay. Um, but getting back on track, the Premier League. Um, the the the, the later game, um, Brighton against Chelsea. Uh, Brighton. Probably be happy if they finish fifteenth again. To be honest, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think they're going to have a difficult season again. Another team where you just worry where the goals are going to come from. Um, can they find a regular goal scorer? Uh, obviously, Graham Potter's tried to change the way they play. They 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 pass it a bit more, they're a bit less direct. But you still need to have somebody ultimately to finish those chances off. Um, Mope had a decent season last year. Can he kick on and hit the next level? Um, if he can't, they're, they're going to struggle, I think, for goals. Um, I always think they'll be decent defensively, though. I think they've got good defenders. Um, and I think they will always be solid enough to, to, to get to pick points up. But they're going to be in that they're going to be in that bottom five or six. I think there's no question about it. Um, if they can keep Adam Lallana fit, he, he will be a big asset for them. But keeping him fit is a very big call. He, like we weren't able to do it for like four years. Yeah, it's an interesting, an interesting acquisition for them. Although, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, 
And I think, again, I think they were in for, for Martinez, but as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think it looks like he's gone to, to Villa. Um, and I, I must say I'm not the biggest fan of, of Ryan, the, the, uh, the Australian goalkeeper at, at Brighton. Um, I think he makes too many mistakes. He, he does seem to, to, to drop the drop more, more clangers than the average goalkeeper. If we then switch our attention to Chelsea, who are in the game later as well, uh, Frank Lampard is not going to get away with conceding 50-odd goals this season. Then he needs results now. There is a lot of more pressure on Frank Lampard than there was last season, which was a bit of a free hit. Yeah, I think so. I um, I think he he's clearly under a lot of pressure this year to to get better results. The question I think a lot of people are asking is, where does he have to kind of finish to have been seen, to have responded well to that, and to have dealt well with that pressure? Um, I think he definitely has to be fewer points away from the top two than he was last season. But is finishing third six or seven points off the top two enough? And that's the question, I think, with Frank. Are Chelsea going to be patient, given the money that they've invested this summer? I think there's also a question about what his best team is. I think history Um, points to the fact that uh, patience does not run particularly well well at Chelsea. Exactly, you know that, that that's the history of what we've seen since since Abramovich bought the club. But I think you look at the signings they've made. Obviously, Thiago Silva. I, I, you know, I've been a big fan for a long time. I think he can still defend. Me too. I'm not sure whether the Premier League's the greatest fit for him uh, at 35 years of age because of the tempo that the the game's played at. But I think for a year he will he will be able to get by because he's such a clever defender. Um, I thought he was outstanding in the in the Champions League final. I thought he was the the PSG player that was probably unlucky to be on the losing team. Um, so I think he will help. I'm not sure which of the younger centre halves are going to try and plug in alongside him. I'm not convinced by any of them, frankly. Uh, even Rudiger, who I know a lot of people are quite high on, I've always thought positionally he can get himself into into some bad areas. Um, Chilwell will start at left back, and they've needed a left back basically since Ashley Cole left. Um, now I'm not sure Chilwell is really top top caliber. Me neither. He might be that that next level below that, but um, he will improve a position that they've needed a player for a long time. Just to jump Obviously, in there, Paul, do you, do you not rate Marcos Alonso? Because I do. No, I, I don't think he can defend. I think he's. I think he's a good, a good player going forward. I think he takes good free kicks. I think he creates chances for Chelsea, and he, he has a habit of scoring goals against Arsenal as well. Maybe that's why I don't like him. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think defensively he's a, he's a weak link, and uh, and I think Chilwell will improve him in that position. Um, but then it's it's ahead of that where I'm really fascinated to see what the combinations are, um, and I don't know if the the lineups are out yet for tonight, Dan. They they, they may well be. I'll, I'll have a quick look. But um, fascinating to know what combination it's. So the lineup is out. He's gone for a, a midfield three of Kante, Jorginho, and Loftus Cheek, and then he's got Mountain Havertz either side of um, Werner up front, uh, which I'm guessing means Pulisic isn't fit, which is fantastic. 
because I transferred Havertz out of my fantasy team at the last minute to put Pulisic in because they said he was fit. Oh dear. Um, but there we are. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see over the season when Pulisic is back. Um, you know, they've still got Giroud and they've still got Abraham. Now I'm convinced that Werner's going to be the main choice down the middle up in that front three. But he can play off the flank and, and that's an option that you might see at some point. Uh, how many games is Mason Mount going to get? At kind of what's happened to Callum Hudson-Odoi? He was the next bright thing a, a couple of years ago. And again, I know he's had a bad injury, but he, he doesn't seem to have quite come back to that that level. How they sort of combine between those options up front is, is going to be interesting for me. Yeah, I, I'm really jealous of Chelsea, to be honest, because I... I... I, I had it in my head, and as as was the the common perception that Liverpool were signing Werner, so I'd got myself all excited for him, and then for it to not happen, and for signing to Chelsea was a bit of a kick in the the teeth, to be quite honest. And um, I watched a lot of Bundesliga, a lot more Bundesliga than normally would, because it was the first league back, and mm-hmm. I was very excited by Havertz. I, there was never any prospect of Liverpool matching his price, but. Um, I really wanted us to pick him up because he, he looks like a very, very talented footballer and I think he'll do great for them. They've got a lot of options in attack. They've also signed a new goalkeeper. don't know enough about him to say that he's going to fix the problems or not fix the problems. But, um, yeah, Ch- Chelsea under a lot of pressure this season, I think. And there's how are they going to fit all of these attacking players? It's, for me, already, Zayets looks like the, like the odd one out. Yeah, I, I didn't even mention Zayech. I don't, I don't think he's in the squad tonight. I don't know if that maybe he's not quite fit yet. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it, again, it, it's just going to be fascinating to see what the right combination is when they when all said and done. Interestingly, tonight they're, they're also Alonso does start at left back, and I, I don't think there's any sign of Chilwell in the squad. Um, and Zuma and Christensen are the two centre halves, so. That's pretty much the the back four and goalkeeper combination that wasn't good enough last season. So it'll be interesting to see whether Brighton are good enough to exploit that in any way. I know that um, Chil- Chilwell signed for Leicester with a slight injury. Sorry, from Leicester with a slight with injury. A slight injury. Yeah. yeah. So it may be a few weeks before they've really established the the combination at the back end of the team that they want to go forward with. And I think they've got some. Don't don't they play Liverpool next week? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, it's um, it's the, the late game on Sunday, I believe. Yeah. So you know that you you'd be hoping if you were Chelsea that you could get your new players certainly in in defence and the goalkeeper um, in place by that time because I think that you know Liverpool are not a team you want to you want to be coming up against when you know you've still got weaknesses at the back end of your team. Yeah, uh, we look we look porous, but we scored four and. We, we we can do that to anyone, but I I would wager that um, it will be a hard game at Chelsea. That's not somewhere we do too well. Although Jurgen Klopp's record there is really good, but um, I always look at Stamford Bridge and think, oh no, not the um, um, so early in the season as well, which is why it was important that we did get that winner winner over Leeds in the end. Um, we've just looked at a lot of detail though. If we move on to the four teams who haven't played. If we start off, I'm just looking at the fixtures. It will be Burnley against Manchester United, so they're next. Um, is my arbitrary decision. Um, <laughs> Burnley will probably be very happy with another mid-table finish. They've got no reason to do anything. There was a talk of Sean Dyche possibly leaving the job at the end of last season. That seems to have cooled down now. 
Um, he is, is he the second longest serving manager in the league behind Klopp? I believe he is now. Um, but he continues to, to do a, a fantastic job with a, a pretty limited budget. Um, and that Burnley are always a nightmare to play against. Yeah, it's it's one of those interesting ones, isn't it, Sean Dyche? Because I'm not sure when I look at him, um, like where's the next step for Sean Dyche if he leaves Burnley? He just he doesn't strike me as the sort of personality that the big clubs want to take on. And I know that that that's kind of really harsh on 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 Sean Dyche because he has done a terrific job. But if he leaves Burnley. Where's his next appointment? His next appointment is likely at a club who are underachieving their expectations and are en- have ended up at Christmas time in that bottom five or six positions and want somebody that they trust to get them out of there. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think Burnley will be okay. Again, there is always that question of, are they like Bournemouth? Does their time come at one at one stage and they and they drop out? But I think Burnley will be okay this season. Um, again, there is a question about where the goals come from, but I think they've probably got enough. And they always seem to score a lot of goals from set plays, and, and that probably is what you were alluding to when you said they're a bit of a nightmare for some of the bigger clubs to play. Well, Because um, they, they do bully you, you know, bully a lot of teams in the air. West Ham are pretty t- keen on James Tarkovsky. Do you, do you think he's integral to them staying up? He's certainly... I, I, I don't know if he's ever been I can't remember whether he's been capped or not but he was certainly being talked about of being in the England squad he's clearly highly thought of player yeah the, the thing is that Burnley like every year there's a centre back you think they can't afford to lose him and you know they lost Michael Keane who had had a terrific season for him and then Tarkovsky kind of came in and I Ben Mee has had a really good run at, at Burnley as well, playing you know mainly as a centre half these days. He started as a as a fullback, and I, I just think their system is friendly for central defenders, uh, and so I think it helps you to look good at centre half for Burnley. They they're nice and compact. They don't their fullbacks defend relatively narrow. They let you have the ball wide because they trust that they, they're big enough and strong enough to defend the box in the air. Um, they they protect the centre-halves well from in front with midfield players. So I, I do think there's, there's a system that is kind of centre-half friendly. And maybe Sean Dyche has a former centre-half who was never the quickest and didn't like being exposed. Maybe he's, um, maybe he's built that system for, for exactly that reason. Uh, it would be a loss to them, I think, if, if, if he goes. But I'm not sure it's a loss that they can't overcome. Yeah. I, I think they find a way, whether it's somebody internally within the squad or whether it's going out and, and paying some money for somebody, I think they would find a way of, um, of putting together enough results and keeping enough clean sheets to stay in the Premier League. Interestingly enough, a friend of mine has a similar argument to yourself about, you know, like you say, it's a, it's a centre-half friendly system. He reckons that the way Burnley players makes Nick Pope look a lot better than he actually is as well. But I, I really, I really highly rate Nick Pope. He's he's a very important player for them. Yeah, I, I think Nick, Nick obviously. You know, I, I was always a big Tom Heaton fan, and and for somebody to sort of take the job from him, I know Tom Heaton got injured, and that's how Nick Pope got his chance. But I think he's been very, very good since he since he got in goal there. Um, does the system help him? Probably. 
probably a little bit because they don't, as I say, they, they defend their box so well in the air with, with their defenders. They probably don't ask their goalkeeper to come and take as many balls as maybe um, some other clubs do. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think Nick Pope's a good goalkeeper. I like him. And I welcome him on our bench ahead of Adrian any time. No, I'm still not over the Atletico Madrid game. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not sure, I'm not sure he's going anywhere to sit on anyone's bench. No, no, no. He's he's um, he's number one wherever he goes, and, and right, so he's a fine goalkeeper. Um, their opponents, but for Europa League involvement, would have been Manchester United. And this is a very important season for them. Um, you know, they, they, they came on strong at the end of last season and finished third in the end. I'm not convinced that they, you know, uh, I'm got to be very careful what I say. It's it's a well known fact that I dislike Manchester United. Let's be honest, but. Um, I'm not convinced by the manager, but they are at the moment playing a very dangerous game for me. They're chasing Jadon Sancho. All the regs are in the Jadon Sancho basket, and Dortmund are not playing ball, and they've got no intention of. I also think it's a, it's a strange signing for them to be so obsessed with. Midfield is where they need. Given that, given that the, you look at the, you know, the way they were playing at the end of last season with with Greenwood and. Marshall and Rashford and now I know there's the argument there well yeah they haven't got a huge amount of depth behind those players and fair enough I, I, I get that um, but I wouldn't necessarily have looked at Manchester United and said well the first priority needs to be a, another fast skillful forward player um, I, I, I see what you, your point of midfield certainly I think they need somebody to play in a sort of deeper midfield role obviously they've, they've brought uh, Van der Beek in from um, Ajax. Bruno Fernandes was outstanding at the end of last season. He, he made a massive difference to the team. They've still got Paul Pogba. Uh, I think they do need somebody. Matic is, I mean, he, he's not on his last legs. He's fell off his last legs. <laughs> um, they need somebody to play in that deeper role. And I still think defensively they're, they're suspect. Um, yes, Harry Maguire needs a partner. Yeah, I think Maguire had a decent first season. I don't think it was ever worth the money they paid for him, but I think he had a decent first season. Um, obviously, he's had some off-the-field stuff over the summer, which you know is um, is less than ideal. But I think he's a, he's a good centre-half without being top class. Uh, I don't... I'm not convinced on Lindelof. I've never been a big Eric Bailly guy. Uh, and the full-back positions are a concern for me. I'm, Luke Shaw and I, you know... He's never been the same since he broke his leg. No, but also I think part of that is on Luke Shaw. I know people in and around it, and uh, you know, in in Manchester, who say his reputation for his his sort of application to his craft, his professionalism is not great. Um, spends too much time doing things other than focusing on his football. Uh, there have been concerns. I know Jose had a thing when he was there about him maybe being a little bit heavier than Jose would have liked him to the be. Love, that, that wonderfully funny story about him turning up to Mourinho's first day with a McDonald's breakfast. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think, you know, whether all these stories are true or they're myth and legend or whatever it is, there is clearly a narrative out there about Luke Shaw that he isn't the best trainer. He enjoys um, eating and drinking in maybe a way that you could get away with in 1990 and you can't in 2020. Um, so I, I think that that position remains a question mark for me. I also, I, 
I'm not giving up on Wan Bissaka by any means, but they paid a lot of money for someone who's still very raw in my mind. I'm not convinced he's the finished article by any stretch of the imagination as a defender. He's very athletic. He gets forward extremely well. I think he can play. I think he's good with the ball to his feet. Um, I'm just not totally sold on him yet as the finished product of a, of a defender. Now, I know in, in modern football, your fullback being able to attack well is almost as important as him being able to defend well. And I, and I get that, but... Um, That's a big weakness for, for, for Wan-Bissaka for me. I... I, I... Really like Wan Bissaka, um, but I, I think his end product. Like, I, I don't think he's good enough to play as a fullback in the the way United want to play. You know, like quick because United want to play attacking football. I mean, as I say, I, I'm not convinced by the manager, but that's what you expect of United attacking football. And I think Wan Bissaka. I think Wan Bissaka will end up as a centre half personally. United have been heavily linked with. I'm sure you'll correct me on the, the pronunciation. Reguillon. Well, I, yeah, it's, it's as good as I've got, I think, Reguillon. Uh, it's got the double L, so that's normally a U sound. Um, yeah, I've seen that they've been linked with him and, and that they aren't quite there yet on a, on a price everybody's agreed to. Um, so I definitely think I can see them bringing at least one full back in. Um, I also think they do need another centre-half, but we all know centre-halves are, are difficult to come by. Um, and good ones particularly uh, there's not exactly a surplus out there and when there is one they, they tend to cost a lot of money I mean there were a lot of clubs in the Premier League who like the, the guy at, at Leipzig uh, and I'm not going to try and pronounce his name either because I'll get all the letters in the wrong order um, <laughs> but you know the, you look at the transfer fee that they won for him and it's, it's astronomical so uh whether Manchester United bring one or two more in will, will be interesting to see. It is a big season for them. They do need to try and finish again in the top four, but I think they need to progress as well. Uh, they might, oh, they might get away with finishing fourth again if he goes and wins the cup. But if yeah. it's another season where fourth's kind of, you know, third and fourth is kind of all they're aiming for, uh, I do wonder how much that is really progress from where they were at the end of the last season. Yeah, I, I could see United finishing third again, but I think there's a lot of... I, I think that, as you've already alluded to, I, I think Sancho's a fantastic player and I would have him at Liverpool in a heartbeat, but I, I just don't think that's the position where they need the most work. No. And obviously they have a questioning goal. You know, De Gea's form fallen off the cliff really the last two years. They've got a big question mark and goal as to whether he continues or whether Henderson coming back from Sheffield United takes the job. Uh, yeah, it's it's a big call, and I think I think De Gea will play for one reason, one reason alone. He is on a ridiculous contract, and yeah. they're not going to pay him to sit on the bench, and he'll be very difficult to offload. I think ultimately United will probably wish that that um, that fax machine was working a few years ago. Undoubtedly, on his day, De Gea is one of the best goalkeepers out there, without question. But that day is increasingly few and far between, and he seems to have developed. I'm not comparing them directly, but he seems to have developed a touch of the Joe Hearts to me. I don't mean signing for Tottenham. No, I. So I think I think at the point that the um, at the point that the the sort of fax machine broke, I think he was still an outstanding goalkeeper, and he, he probably the next couple of seasons saved Manchester United. 10, 12 points a season. But, um, 
the last two years he's not been good and uh, I think I'm not sure how long there is left on his contract I don't know what the contract situation is um, he, he's always wanted to go back to Spain and Real Madrid has been the one that um, you know everyone thought was sort of inevitable but I'm not sure. I don't know. Is is that something that that happens, or or do they stick with Courtois? Um, who knows? Uh, but I think if De Gea doesn't play well this season, Man United will have to make the change and go to Henderson. And it's a nice change for them to be. It's a nice problem for them to have now. Um, I imagine cause... Henderson will play in all of the Europa games and cup games, etc. Uh, champion, well, they're not in Europe, probably they're in the Champions League. They may play Henderson in the Champions League group stage. That's not beyond the the realm of possibility. Yeah, but I think Sergio Romero can collect can empty his locker. Yeah, I think his his um, usefulness has probably expired. <laughs> yeah, he was. I mean, there were far worse backup goalkeepers in the league, um, to say the least. And no, that's not a dig at Adrian. Honest. Um, the remaining two teams, um, Manchester City and Aston Villa. So if we start with City, th- th- there's lots of talk that this is going to be Pep Guardiola's last season um, at-, at Manchester City before he, he goes on one of his sabbaticals. Um, the-, the window is yet young, but for me, I, I don't think City have got have fixed the problems. Um, they still have a-, a very protruding glass jaw. And I still think that they can be got at defensively. Now, if they turn around and sign Kubalali from from Napoli, which will be no easy feat with the Napoli chairman being as he is, then that changes. They have a leader. They have a top draw centre half. But at, at the moment, as it stands, um, I, I'm not too worried about what City have done so far. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether they bring another one in. Um... I think I think the other thing that Man City have to change as much as yes they have to be stronger defensively. I think they have to get some intensity back. I think they they lost a little bit of intensity last season, um, and it, it's natural and it's a conversation people have had with Liverpool of having had two consecutive seasons now of of ninety eight points or whatever whatever the numbers were ninety eight and ninety nine uh, to, to then keep that upper third year is really difficult and, and Manchester City had done back to back you know 100 points and then 90 odd points and I, I think they just when they didn't start great last year and Liverpool got a little bit of a lead it just felt like they, like they lost a bit of their intensity and they weren't quite the force of old um, and I think they need to recover that as much as they need to to, to strengthen the squad I think I mentioned it last time but I, I think they'll miss David Silver as well I think he's a brilliant brilliant footballer yeah, fantastic um, football. And irreplaceable, really. And they've still got great midfield players. Kevin De Bruyne's probably, on his day, the best player in the league. Um, I also worry about centre-forward. I'm not totally sold on on uh, Gabriel Jesus as, as the long-term replacement for Sergio Aguero. And Sergio gets you know nicked up and injured a lot these days. So... Um, but Manchester City will be, if not first, they'll be second. They'll, they'll finish in the top two. Uh, too many good players not to. Yeah, you, you can't see beyond the, the title race being the, the, the same as it was last year, really. Liverpool, Man City, um, Chelsea, Manchester United and, and, and any other contenders who, who may step forward. Um, but last, by no means least, Villa. Um, I like Dean Smith. I think he, he tries to play football the right way and seems like a nice man. Um, is he the man to keep 
Villa up? Are, are Villa going to find it harder this time? Do you think they'll be a bit more settled? Are they recruiting well? So I, um, I think they will stay up. I think it will be another tricky season for them, though. Uh, I like the signing of Ollie Watkins for the long term. Um, I think he's a good striker, uh, and I think he did really well for, uh, for for Brentford last year. But is he is he ready to lead the line for Manchester uh, for for Aston Villa um, week in week out in the Premier League and and get the goals that are needed to keep them up? I'm I'm not totally sold. I wouldn't be surprised if he does. It wouldn't shock me at all because I, I, I do rate him, but um, I, I might have just thought he was one year away from being ready for that. That said, you know, he's, he's, he's 24 years of age, so he's not a kid anymore. Um, he's, he's just been a little bit of a slower developer and, and you know, come through the leagues with with Exeter and then, um, and then with Brentford. So we'll see. I... It's an intriguing signing. I'll be really interested to see how it works out. I think signing Emmy Martinez and Goal is a really, really smart move. I think he'll be excellent for Villa. I think goalkeeper was a major issue for them once Tom Heaton got injured. Uh, and I think at the end of last season, they played with a li- little bit more solidity about them. Their shape was better. They defended better. They were better in 1v1 situations. Um, they, they'll need to keep that going. I think the first half of last season, they conceded too many goals. And I don't think they're a team who's ever going to score a bag load the way they play so they need to be winning games put it this way when Villa scores twice in a game they need to win that game yeah and uh, that means they need to continue the defensive improvement we saw after the after the the break Um, I think they should be okay I don't think they'll get anything uh, against Manchester City um, whenever that game is played Uh, but I think I think they should be okay and survive in the Premier League. I mean, I, one of the, one of uh, Villa's best performances last season was the Carlin Cup final, whatever it's called these days. Against Man City, they played really well and were lucky to they lose. Did, that's true. But um, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see them troubling um, Man City whenever that game is played. And I think the the, the good thing uh, for Villa is they don't start with Man City. They they start at home to Sheffield United. I, I think next Monday night, if I'm not mistaken. Um, which is a good game to sort of start with. It was actually the game that restarted after the lockdown, wasn't it? That was Villa-Sheffield United with the famous goal that never was. Yes. Um, but that's a nice fixture to ease themselves back into, especially Sheffield United look like they've started with a loss tonight. Um, if Villa can get that one under their belt and, and get a bit of momentum, uh, I think that's better than maybe playing Man City on the opening day and getting beaten 3 or 4 nil, and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh my goodness, we're in for a long, hard season. Uh, it, it probably worked out in their favour a little bit that, that they end up with a slightly easier start to the season. Yeah. I, th- I think that they'll be OK. Um, so, who, who, who do you... Uh, just to put you on the spot, who, who do you think will win the league? Manchester City. Just in, in a close run race, or do you think Liverpool will close, drop off? Close run, close run race with Liverpool, but just Manchester City. From from what I've seen so far, I'm I'm concerned that 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 could be the case. But the window is yet young. If 
if there's not much movement before the window closes, I I fancy Liverpool to to hold on. But um, I mean, I, I I've always wanted, and I still can't believe I'm saying. It, I've always wanted to say, we, we can can we retain the league? And I'm, I still can't believe I'm saying it now. To be perfectly honest, um, who do you think will go down? Uh, Fulham, West Brom, Brighton, and Hove Albion. I I I think I, I certainly the, the the first two without question. Um, the 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 last one it's it's tough. I can understand why you go with Brighton. I am going to say West Ham. Yeah. I I just think there's a lot of disharmony at that club and um. I mean, they they are probably the only team benefiting from playing under the wrong fans. To be honest, um, I I don't think Newcastle fans would be in a particularly pleasant mood at the moment either. But their team are winning, so they may be a bit more forgiving. Yeah. Um, football league fans, we love you. We can't talk about all of your games in one hit because we'd still we'd still be here by Christmas. Um, one one thing I want to to, to call out, Paul, is um, you know, I I. Didn't watch the Bolton game, but I obviously am married to someone who did, um, and I'll, I could hear and see furious gesticulating. Um, Bolton got off to a losing start. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure on them to do better. Um, young manager who signed a new team. Um, I, 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 as I said to to to, to Joe, my wife, I, I said you know, it, it takes time for teams to gel, and I think. There's, there's a few teams who are in that situation. Bolton definitely are one of them. They, they got off to a bit of a slow start. Did anything catch your eye in, in the league, the, the, the football league? Um, so, I actually, the, the championship results caught my eye a little bit because there were a few results in there that you wouldn't have necessarily picked. So, obviously, I know they, they lost a couple of players, but Brentford uh, losing at Birmingham wasn't a result you'd have necessarily picked. Uh, Derby getting beat at home by by Reading wasn't necessarily a result you'd have picked. Nottingham Forest are still quite fancied by a fair few people, and they lost at QPR. So I thought it was a bit of a topsy turvy opening to the Championship, to be honest. And it always seems to be the opening day of the Championship is always a little bit of a lottery. I thought what was interesting was um, that Norwich, having gone down, started with a win. Bournemouth, having gone down, started with a win. Um, you know that they are going to be important uh, results for, for those clubs to, to kind of get the season kicked off on the right on the right track, having having just come out of the Premier League. So I think that 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 caught my eye in um, in the Championship. I think in in League One, the probably the fact that you know you look at the end of last season, who was up there and didn't go up. Peterborough started with a defeat. I think Portsmouth drew at home. Sunderland drew at home. So again, it, it wasn't necessarily the teams you'd have picked who, who were strong at the end of last season um, who started well. I thought uh, that that was interesting. Charlton and Pete Crew, so my 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 second club, um, having again having come down from the Championship, an important win for them because they had a really poor end to the season in the Championship, and and in League Two, I. Port Vale are one of my um, sneaky tips this year. They're from the sort of neck of the woods where I grew up. Uh, they only lost once at home all season last season. And they started with a home win again the other day. If they can just improve a few points away from home, uh, Vale are going to be there or thereabouts, I think, uh, in the in in League Two. Um, 
I think that was it. In terms of the ones that really caught my eye, uh, Dan, that was sort of my list. You, you, the other one was Forest Green winning at Bolton, but you've you've already mentioned that, so uh, so I won't go there. I, I agree with you. It, it's it's not time to panic for Bolton yet. Um, it was always going to take a little bit of uh, time for for things to uh, for te- things to sort of settle down. The only thing that would make me concerned if I was a Bolton fan is that they signed uh, Sarsovic to play in midfield. Um, I've seen him both at Crewe and at Plymouth. Uh, he moves about as quickly as me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I it, that I I did raise an eye when I saw at the weekend that he was in the Bolton lineup. Um, I can't believe he keeps getting jobs, but every summer somebody signs him. Um, but there we are. Uh, yeah, I, I think probably not time to panic yet for Bolton. According to Radio Bolton, I, I believe it is, um, there was nine debutants for Bolton. So that's a lot of players to bed in at once. And it's 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 going to take a couple of weeks for the team to get used to each other and the manager and for results to settle down, you would think. So there may yeah. be a few more bad results for Bolton to come just yet. But... Um, uh, they're just grateful to still be going after. I mean, they've had a horrendous five years. Yeah, and Forest Green, are, Forest Green, are no pushovers. So you know they've not lost to a, a, a to the bunch of bunch of nobodies. Forest Green have have been over over a couple of years a competitive team in, in that division. So um, you know that it's not a result to completely panic over. One one result that you've not mentioned that I, that I would like to is um, Harrogate uh, absolutely. Route in South End on the the return to the top. Is it the return of the ever been in the top flight? Like, no, I, I think I think it's Harrogate, the new to the football league. Yeah, new to the football league. Yeah, I think um, Barrow were Barrow were returning after fifty years. That's right. That's like that. that's I, right. Yeah, I think Harrogate it's it's brand new. Um, yeah, I mean, terrific result for them. South End have got their own problems again going on at the moment. That's not a not a well football club, unfortunately. No. Um, but but yeah, it, terrific for Harrogate. I mean. I don't know how many they get at home, Harrogate. It's, it's quite a nice part of the world. Um, people might be too posh to watch football, uh, but the uh, to start with a four 0 win away from home is is pretty pretty outstanding. And yeah, long season ahead, I think for Southend. I mm, wouldn't be surprised if they end up towards the bottom of the of the uh, the division. Um, and they've been one of these teams, haven't they, for a number of years now, where they've uh, been a bit of a yo-yo club between League One and League Two. They'd have a good season and get promoted to League One, and then come back down. And I'm not convinced this year that they're going to be up in that promotion shake-off. I think they may be in the uh, in the wrong end of the table. Well, it, it's it, it happens often, doesn't it? Where in a team can come up from the conference and possibly push to go up to League One the next season because they have momentum, um, and then you have teams who come down. Some of those teams don't ever shake the the, the, the disappointment of relegation, and the South Enders extenuating circumstances, as you said, they're they're not a well team. There's there's been problems at South End for a while. Yeah, and and it's um, it, it reminds me a little bit of that's what happened to Leighton Orient. Leighton Orient have actually been pushing to go up into the. Uh, championship, if you remember, lost the playoff final in League One, and then there were problems behind the scenes. All of a sudden, they went from being a successful League One side to getting relegated. They went straight through League Two. Obviously, they've come back now, but it can happen, um, especially when there's problems behind the scenes. Yeah, and losing four 0 at home on the first day of the season is never a good sign for a good for a good year. 
Um, Paul, we have discussed pretty much everything that I can think of at the moment. Um, it's been a bit of an elongated podcast this because we've had to consider the games that we've had this weekend and talk about each team's fortunes. So this is kind of a, a special one-off bumper edition um, and we'll probably get back to a, a reasonable length next time. But um, thank you very much, Paul. It's been good good to talk about about the, uh, the, uh, the, the weekend. It's been good to have the football back, although it after 65 minutes of, the, of our game on Saturday, I was beginning to wish that the season would be started. Uh, it's but... also interesting to have the football back after such a short break. Um, and I did wonder whether I'd feel a bit fatigued by it. But actually, I didn't this weekend. I, I, I enjoyed most of what I saw. Um, Crystal Palace versus Southampton probably being the exception. <laughs> yeah, um, that, 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 wouldn't, that wasn't... Uh, I mean, I caught a bit of it, but I thought I'd... Check out the um, the new and improved revolutionary Sky Sky Sports panel on Soccer Saturday. Um, the, the the only thing I remember particularly was Glenn Johnson forgetting he was watching being being paid to watch a game of football, and he said after being called by Jeff a couple of times, "Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff, I was enjoying the game too much." So <laughs> uh, obviously, Glenn Johnson doesn't agree with your appraisal of um, Crystal Palace against Southampton. Yeah, if he was enjoying that, he must have some patience. Well, I remember Glenn Johnson refusing to close down crosses for four years at Liverpool, so I'll, uh, I think I prefer the punditry memories and the football ones anyway. Um, Paul, a pleasure as always. Um, we will try and get... Car- I'm not going to make any outlandish promises about who's doing what. It's just not worth it. Uh, but we're going to try and come to you from uh, every Monday night and with a release on Tuesday, probably. Uh, we're going to try and make that our, a more weekly, uh, regular slot, but... Um, we're three normal people, three friends, and um, we have our own lives to lead, so that might not always be possible. However, uh, we're back. Um, we'll hopefully be back next week. Um, really hope that Liverpool do well at Chelsea. It's not, never a game I'll look forward to that. Yeah, well, pretty interesting to see, Dan. Yeah. It's the first heavyweight clash of the of the season, isn't it? Uh, and it's... Um, I'm not confident in our ability to keep clean sheets at the moment. Well, let's just see how Chelsea functions in the tack in the game that's um, coming up later on. Right, thank you very much for your time, Paul, and thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, if you want to give us a subscription, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. We are also on Castbox, Podbean, and working on Spotify. And as I revealed exclusively earlier, we are also on iTunes. So please give us a follow, and we'll be back with more content very soon.